Take your Bibles this morning, please, and turn to Isaiah chapter 53. Isaiah chapter 53. Mark that in your Bibles. Put a bulletin there. Put a piece of paper there. Put a card there. And turn to Acts chapter 8. Isaiah 53. And then turn over to Acts chapter 8, please. The book of Acts is a wonderful commentary on how God's redemptive plan is accomplished. Acts chapter 1 says, But ye shall be witnesses, witnesses unto me in Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, and unto the uttermost parts of the earth. That's my plan for you to get the good news, the message out. Acts chapter 2 gives to us Peter at Pentecost. Where all of a sudden the Holy Spirit comes and indwells his people, God's people. And Peter preaches a wonderful message about Jesus Christ. We move to Acts chapter 4, where Peter again says this, Neither is there salvation in any other, for there is none other name under heaven given among men whereby you must be saved. Recognizing what Jesus said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No man comes unto the Father but by Acts chapter 6, Stephen is stoned as he proclaims Jesus of Nazareth. And in Acts chapter 8, we discover that persecution begins in the church. And what that does is it drives them to the proclamation of the gospel, God's redemptive plan. And they were scattered, but they went everywhere preaching the gospel of Jesus Christ. And we are introduced in Acts chapter 8 to an evangelist by the name of Philip. Philip goes and presents the good news of the gospel. I'd like to draw your attention to verse 26. Acts chapter 8, verse 26. Now an angel of the Lord said to Philip, Rise and go toward the south, to the road that goes down from Jerusalem to Gaza. This is a desert place. And he arose and went, and there was an Ethiopian, a eunuch, a court official of Candace, queen of the Ethiopians, who was in charge of all her treasure. He had come to Jerusalem to worship and was returning, seated in his chariot, and he was reading the prophet Isaiah. And the Spirit said to Philip, Go over and join this chariot. Now my biblical imagination wonders how he did that whether he jumped on the back and surprised the Ethiopian eunuch, whether he flagged him down and said, stop here, I need to say something to you. I don't know how it happened, but it happened. And it happened because the Spirit had directed Philip to do it. Now, may I just ask you, what is your response when the Spirit directs you to do something? What if Philip hadn't gone? What if he said, oh, God, that's a crazy idea. But he went. Verse 30. So Philip ran to him. I wish I could have seen that. And heard him reading Isaiah the prophet and asked, Do you understand what you are reading? And he said, How can I unless someone guides me? And he invited Philip to come up and sit with him. Now the passage of the scripture that he was reading was this. Isaiah 53. 
Like a sheep, he was led to the slaughter. Like a lamb before its shear is silent, so he opens, not his mouth. In his humiliation, justice was denied him. Who can describe his generation? For his life was taken away from the earth. And the eunuch said to Philip, About whom, I ask you, does the prophet say this? About himself? Or about someone else? Then Philip opened his mouth. And beginning with this scripture, he told him the good news about Jesus. The eunuch says, about whom is the prophet speaking? And Philip opens his mouth and presents to him the good news. The word is gospel, evangel, herald, the good news about Jesus. And it all came because the Ethiopian eunuch was reading the Old Testament prophet Isaiah. Now, I want you to understand what the Old Testament prophet was saying. So turn back to Isaiah 53, will you please? Isaiah 53. And this morning, I would like to read this passage of Scripture responsively. I have it up here on the screen, so we're all reading out of the same translation. I will read the black, you read the red. And we will understand what that eunuch was reading. And we will see how Philip told him the gospel, the good news about Jesus. So Isaiah 53, 1 through 7, and then we'll end with the last part of verse 12. I'll read the black. You follow, please, with the red. Here we go. Who has believed what he has heard from us? And to whom has the arm of the Lord been revealed? He had no form or majesty that we should look at him, and no beauty that we should desire him. He was despised, and we esteemed him not. But he was pierced for our transgressions. He was crushed for our iniquities. Upon him was the chastisement that brought us peace. And with his wounds we are healed. And the Lord has laid on him the iniquity of us all. He was oppressed and he was afflicted. Like a lamb that is led to the slaughter, and like a sheep, sheep that before its shears is silent. Yet he bore the sin of many and makes intercession for the transgressors. This was what Philip explained to the Ethiopian eunuch. And what he explained was the wonder of Jesus. About whom was the question? Was this written? Was it written about the prophet or someone else? Oh, it was written about 
Jesus. Let me tell you about him. And as Philip identified the focus of the prophet's message, he identified God's redemptive plan in recognizing that he would send his son to be the savior of the world. Let me share with you out of Isaiah 53 what Philip might have identified about Jesus. First of all, he may well have identified that God, Jesus, came in the flesh and became man. You noticed in the text, it says, for he grew up, verse 2, like a young plant, like a root out of dry ground. And it was this one who was predicted that he would indeed come and that he would indeed be born of a virgin. You know, you look at the prophecies of the Old Testament and you discover that in Genesis chapter 3, the Redeemer would come from the seed of the woman. You continue reading in the Old Testament and you discover very quickly that it was to be born, that he was to be born of a virgin. And that he would be born in Bethlehem, according to Micah. Jesus Christ would indeed, the Son of God, take on flesh. If you read your daily bread this morning, it was out of Hebrews chapter 1. Which says, in the old days we've heard concerning the prophets about God's plan. But in these days, we have heard personally from the Son of God. And is that not what John identified in John chapter 1? In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. And in verse 14, we read, And the Word became flesh, and dwelt among us, and we beheld His glory, the glory as of the only begotten of the Son of Man. Paul puts it this way in Philippians chapter 2. Let this mind be in you, which was also in Christ Jesus, who being in the form of God, thought it not robbery to be equal with God, but made himself of no reputation, took upon himself the form of a servant, and was made in the likeness of men. Think about that, will you please? The one that was identified in Isaiah chapter 3 that the Ethiopian eunuch was reading about was one who would come in flesh. One of Jesus' disciples came to him one day and said to Jesus, Jesus, show us the Father. Jesus said, you've seen me, you've seen the Father. In another place, he says, I and my Father are one. Aren't you thankful that Jesus became a man? It allowed him to identify with us. For he was tempted in all points like as we, yet without sin. It allowed him to understand the struggles that we face. Because Satan tempted him just like you and I are tempted. And it allowed him to be the sacrifice that was necessary for payment for sin. Stories told about a farmer who during the winter time recognized that the birds were, were struggling in the weather. He left his home and went out to the barn and opened up the, the barns 
doors and inviting the birds to come in, but they, they wouldn't. And the farmer thought to himself, if I could only become a bird, I'd lead them to shelter. Jesus Christ became a man, and he provided for us salvation. Amen? A tender plant. Not only did he grow up a tender plant, but there was earthly rejection. Do you see it in the text, please? End of verse 2. No beauty that we should desire him. Verse 3, he was despised, rejected by men, a man of sorrows, acquainted with grief, and we hid, as it were, our faces from him. No form, no beauty, despised and rejected. Will you think with me very quickly about how Jesus was rejected? When the wise men came to Jerusalem seeking, where is he that is born king of the Jews? Herod rejected him. He came into his own and his own received him not. According to John chapter 1. The religious leaders, those who should have been looking for the Messiah and should have been able to identify from Old Testament prophecy the one whom God would send. They rejected him. The crowds rejected him. For they cried out, Crucify him! We have no king but Caesar. despised, rejected of man. So good to have my grandboys here, J.C. and Jonas. J.C. will be in the sixth grade. Did I do that right? Jonas will be in the fifth grade. I did that right? You guys got buddies at school? Do you have more buddies than J.C., Jonas? Whenever my kids came home from school and they were either the last ones chosen to be on the team or they didn't feel like they had any friends or somehow they had been pushed aside by others, you know how I felt? Probably felt the way most of you felt when that happened to your kids and it's happened to all of our kids. Can you imagine the grief of the father? Can you imagine the struggle of the son? He came to provide salvation, and yet he was despised and rejected. And may I say right here that you and I should look for nothing else from our culture? Jesus said, in the world you're going to have tribulation. I'm glad he didn't put an exclamation point there. He said, but be of good cheer, I've overcome the world. 
John says, greater is he that is in me than he that is in the world. And Jesus said, I'll never leave you nor forsake you so that you can boldly say, the Lord is my helper. Don't worry about what men are going to do to you. It's okay. There's something bigger. But the prophet Isaiah looked forward and saw the earthly rejection of the Lord Jesus Christ as he came as the Lamb of God to take away the sin of the world. Wow. Not only was there earthly rejection, there was suffering for sins. Verse 4, Surely he hath borne our griefs and carried our sorrows, yet we esteemed him stricken, smitten of God, and afflicted. He was pierced for our transgressions. He was crushed for our iniquities. Upon him was the chastisement of our peace that brought us peace, and with his wounds we were healed. I've picked out some words that I have identified. Stricken. Smitten. Afflicted. Pierced. Crushed. Chastisement. Wounds. <laughs> he suffered for our sins. We may call it Good Friday. Good Friday in that it was a demonstration of God's love for us as his son went to the cross. But may I remind you that just 24 hours before that, Jesus was in the garden saying, Father, if it's possible, let this cup pass from me. May I remind you that all that Rome could do to punish someone was done on the cross. And it was all predicted by Isaiah. Christianity without a cross is worth nothing. May I say that again? Christianity without a cross is worth nothing. Because the cross gives us sin's worst and God's best. Where God demonstrated his love toward us in that while you and I were sinners, Christ died. Let us never get over the sacrifice of the given body and the shed blood of the Lord Jesus Christ. Let us remember the price that was paid so that you and I could have a relationship with God through his son. Let us recognize the sacrifice that was necessary as the Lamb of God came to take away the sin of the world. Let us understand something about being stricken, smitten, afflicted, crushed, chastisement, wounds. We don't sing it very often, but there's an old hymn that says, wounded for me, wounded for me. There on the cross he was wounded for me, 
gone my transgressions and now I am free all because Jesus. All because Jesus was wounded for me. But the reality is, even in the midst of that, you and I want to go our own way. All we like sheep have gone astray. We have turned everyone to his own way and the Lord had laid on him the iniquity of us all. That shouldn't surprise us. Adam and Eve wanted to go their own way, didn't they? Remember that? God said, Satan said, God didn't really say that. And they looked and it was pleasant to the eyes, good for food, make somebody wise. And they took it and violated God's standard. Genesis 3. Genesis 6. We begin to recognize how God would give grace to Noah and God would fulfill his plan in providing an ark of salvation. But why did he do that? He did that because the whole world had gone their own way. They were corrupt. And every man did what was right in his own eyes. The wickedness was almost beyond description in Noah's day, and we think it's bad now. Genesis 6, 7, and 8, the flood. Genesis chapter 9, special events after the flood. Genesis chapter 10 and 11, and then we get to 12 and we have Babel. (laughs) People again going their own way. We're going to build this tower that's going to reach up to God. And we're going to be like God. We're going to go our own way. Throughout all of history, the words of the prophet have been evidenced in cultures. Sheep follow sheep, and they turn their own way. You see, Proverbs tells us there is a way that seemeth right unto a man. But the end of it is the ways of death. I grieve for unsaved people who want to go their own way instead of receiving God's gift of eternal life through His Son, Jesus Christ. And yet, I recognize that I can't make anybody go away they don't want to go. All I can do is plant seed, share the gospel, and love them. Recognizing God's love for me through His Son. Jesus, Jesus made a difference in our going our own way because he became the substitution, the satisfaction for sin. Amen? Jesus became the substitution, the satisfaction for sin. Notice the text. Notice with me verse 6. Will you please? The Lord has laid on him the iniquity of us all. I ought to get an amen out of that. 
The Lord has laid on him the iniquity of us all. And at the end of verse 12, we read this. Yet he bore the sin of many and makes intercession for the transgressions. Glory to God! Satisfaction, substitution for our sins. Hebrews chapter 10 says, But when Christ had offered for all time a single sacrifice for sins, he sat down on the right hand of the throne of God. You know why he did that? Because his sacrifice was enough. The first part of Hebrews 10 says that the priests stand daily, offering sacrifices that can never take away sin. But this man, Jesus, offered one sacrifice and sat down. Do you remember his last words on the cross? It is finished. And then he said, Father, into thy hands I commend my spirit. As the Ethiopian eunuch was traveling from Jerusalem, having been there to worship, he was reading out of the prophet Isaiah. The spirit says to Philip, go tell this guy what he's reading. And Philip ran and joined him. And the eunuch says, is this about the prophet or somebody else? And Philip says, this is about Jesus. And that's good news. That's the gospel. It's all about Jesus. Oh, that you and I would see Jesus. And as we celebrate his given body and his shed blood, Lord, help us to see God's redemptive plan.